It's time for Cofield and Company. Six seconds left. Stewart with five. Draws the double. Laney to the corner. Anders loose. No! And that is it! An unforgettable finish to game four! A resilient conclusion to a remarkable season. From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Great time out here in Las Vegas. The WNBA has a repeat champion. The Las Vegas Aces do it again last night, take out the New York Liberty with a really gritty effort overcoming some injuries. And speaking of Vegas, too, sports scene is awesome. Bryce Harper, sports star, excuse me, a hometown hero. Just put the Phillies up on top. Wild pitch scored from third. Phillies have a one nothing lead in the NLCS over the Arizona Diamondbacks in game three. Let's get more on the win for the Las Vegas Aces. Nikias Duncan's with us. Uh, you can find him up on Twitter, Nikias NBA. Awesome writer when it comes to both the NBA and the WNBA. Also check out the Dunker Spot pod as well. Uh, Nikias, we appreciate it, man. Really big fan of your work, so it's cool to talk to you for the first time. I wanted to start with this. Yesterday going into the game, Becky Hammond talked a lot about, hey, we've got some stuff in store defensively for this New York Liberty team. You know, we know we're shorthanded, but we know what we want to do. So what did they do? What did they do yesterday that allowed them to get that win? But specifically on defense, what did you see from Hammond's game plan? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, second, the answer firmly was just yes. <laughs> the Aces did a little bit of everything. Yep. We saw some 2-3. We saw some 3-2. We saw some boxing one. With traditional man, man to man, we saw some blitzing against Sabrina Ionescu in pick and roll. And I think the fun part of it was that they did all of this in moderation. You never got like three straight possessions of the two three. You would get the two three, and then the, and then they go to boxing one, and then they go to man, and then they switch back to the two three. And so it felt like they did a bunch of different things, but they switched it so rapidly that the Liberty could never catch the cadence of what they were trying to do. When they're able to do those sort of things, obviously scheme is a big part of it, uh, but when you watch the, the ability to kind of be fluid with your defensive scheme, like if you're divvying up the pie player-wise, who much, how much are you giving credit to Wilson? How much are you giving credit to Plum? Where are you divvying up the credit player-wise? I think, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, and I'm sorry, but like you kind of have to give the credit to everyone. Because yeah. I think with any defensive scheme, if there's a weak link, a team, especially one that's as good as New York, they were second-best offense in the league this year, they can exploit that. And so for them to have that level of scheme versatility, it allowed it needed everyone to be locked in. Like the boxing one doesn't happen if the one isn't able to stay attached to whoever they're defending. And with the two three, like if that edge is not where it needs to be, that's a corner three being given up. Or they get distorted and now it's a shot to run. And with the way that they were sinking down on John Quill Jones the entire night, it was a very clear emphasis they did not want to lose the paint battle in that game four. And I believe they ended up outscoring Liberty in the paint 44-24, to 24, I think was the final count. And so they won that handily. I think it's a little bit of everyone. I guess if I have to choose a position group, it's probably going to be the guards. Mm-hmm. Sidney Colson was very important defensively. Kelsey Plum, also very important defensively. The box score not going to be kind in terms of the shooting, but the defense was very impactful, I think, to how she guarded Courtney Vanderslew really the entire series. But in that game for just how far she was ducking under her screen in pick and roll, how far she was helping golf and serving as basically the primary double teamer, um, helping golf with Courtney Vandersloot. I think the guards did a really good job in game four. But when it comes to those points in the paints, just how good was Asia Wilson on the offensive side? Because late in that second half, I was thinking there is no doubt about it. She's the best player in the league. Oh, she she brought it home. Uh, I was in the build. I was in Barclays for that one. And as someone that has watched Asia, basically since South Carolina, but has followed this Asia team very closely this year. 
it was some of the most special shot making I've seen from her. Just taking on the John Quayle matchup head on, those drives, those up and unders, the step backs, the pump and jumpers, the pump fakes before going into contested jumpers. She just hit another level in the second half in particular. So one of the positives, or excuse me, one of the negatives of winning at a very high level is that people in different positions tend to move on because they get you know different opportunities. And I, I hate asking this on the you know the day after they win the championship, but what's the sticking power here in that Becky Hammond has talked to the NBA, right, but quite a bit in terms of jobs, and she's popping up. She, I think she popped up in Toronto Raptors rumors, if I remember, in the offseason. How long mm-hmm. is Becky Hammond around here? I would imagine just based on, I mean, we've had m- many instances like on the NBA side and W side where it's, I'm not going anywhere and then job opens up and then they're gone. Right. So you can't say it, it, nev- it will never happen. But Becky Hammond seems pretty firm, basically, you know, based on her experiences with the hiring, with the interviewing and stuff like that. She's very happy where she is. She's also made it clear, like, I'm not about to beg for a job anywhere. Um, and with the Toronto interview, like, it didn't seem like that was a very serious consideration for hers, more so hearing, you know, taking the call and talking, but not seriously, go, you know, exploring leaving. I would imagine she's around for a while. And the fact that they she's two for two yep. <laughs> in her WNBA career, like, she's won nothing but titles at this point. I think she, at, at bare minimum, she eyes becoming the first team since, what, the, the Houston Comets to win three in a row. Mm-hmm. I think she at least eyes, can we tie or beat the Comets? You mentioned and that. Maybe, no, go ahead. Sorry. I, know, I was going to say, like, I would imagine she at least eyes that, and then maybe it becomes more real if NBA jobs open up in whatever the landscape is there. Because she's also just not going to take a bad NBA job. Mm-hmm over where she's at with Vegas. Like, it would have to be one of those high-profile spots for her to consider, I would imagine. You mentioned how last night you were at the Barclays Center, so be our eyes and ears. What was that atmosphere like? And I know you were in the media room for the post-game celebration. What was that like seeing the Aces players, you know, be exuberant twice? Oh, man. Well, Barclays, got to give a shout-out to their fans. I hope I'm not angering any of your listeners, but that was an electric atmosphere. Um, You felt them very early on. You felt them when they went up by double digits. You, you know, got the murmuring when the Aces started to make their runs. But once, you know, Cordy Vandersloot has the big bucket late in the fourth and then the steal to cap that off, Sabrina hits a big three. The crowd was just electric the entire night. And on the Aces portion, it, it just it warmed me up. And maybe that just makes me a sappy guy. It's fine. But it just warmed me up seeing how much this team has battled through to cap off history in the way that they did, being as shorthanded as they were, to get the contributions from the players that they did. Uh, I mentioned Sidney Colson a little bit earlier, but Lisa Clark was huge in that game. Like it, it, it was just nice to see them have that moment. And post game was it was a lot of fun, but it also just kind of stuck out. Like literally, the entire roster was in there <laughs> for that post game mm-hmm. presser. It just kind of speaks to how connected they were throughout this entire year, and it seems fitting that they closed it out that way. So, what derails this train? What stops the Las Vegas Aces from you know taking a third consecutive WNBA championship next year? Um, well, the obvious caveat with any sport would just be injury, yep. but we just saw that Candace Parker had been out, uh-huh. no Chelsea Gray, no Kia Stokes, and then they win on the road against the New York Liberty. And so I, I think that it's kind of it. Like, I, I don't see any kind of age-related regression from Chelsea Gray. Like, Chelsea Plum's still very much at her prime. Jackie Young's the youngest of the core, and she's obviously getting better. Age is at the peak of her powers. It, I think it's it is just it's injury and or like the Liberty coming back with a stronger bench. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of it. 
So when it does come to next season, you mentioned the Liberty. Kelsey Plum did have the quote, I'm paraphrasing here, of you can't just put together a super team within a couple of months. Did you see some of that? Maybe that the Liberty didn't have, you know, as a cohesive as a bunch as the Aces had last night? Um, you saw it in pockets, but even then, that felt more like what the Aces did to them versus them being unfamiliar with each other. But I go back to the first half in particular when the Aces were throwing literally everything they could defensively with a bunch of different zones and a bunch of different looks in that regard. Like, I think it just kind of slowed down the process of speed of the Liberty, and, like, maybe that's where you feel some of the instinctive, okay, my teammate is dribbling here for more than two seconds. I know a cut would help, and I know what they're looking for. And so, like, maybe those kind of pockets, but overall, it just felt like the Aces just performed better. Like, it was more pro-Aces than anti-Liberty, I feel. Mm-hmm. Nikias Duncan, again, Nikias NBA up on social media. Uh, Nikias, real quick, because I do want to ask you one NBA topic before we get you out of here, but let people know about the Dunker Spot pod because uh, there is a unique connection with your podcast and the Las Vegas market. Steve Jones uh, played some basketball out here. Yes, uh, running Rebel Legend, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Steve's my guy. I appreciate it. And then just with the podcast itself, obviously a lot of WNBA coverage that season just ended, but we are now shifting to the NBA side. I'm very excited to see what this season is going to look like with the star movement that we've gotten recently. We'll be digging in deep uh, twice a week. A lot of X's and O's focused. So if you're trying to learn more about basketball and consume it in that way, we are the podcast for you. Yep, great listen, too. I, I listen regularly, so very much recommend it to anybody. So before we get you out of here, uh, I want to ask you about the two teams in the East, but in this fashion, uh, if I told you you only got to watch one team this whole season, Milwaukee or Boston, which one would you pick and why? Ooh. If I could only choose one, oh, man, you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs> uh, it's probably going to be Boston. Okay. And I lean Boston just because I feel like they have a little bit more defensive versatility to tap into. Um, as someone that loves watching defense and loves watching guards navigate screens at a high level, you put Drew Holiday and Derek White on the same team. Like that is just that, That's a clinic for me. And then being able to mix in Kristaps at the five, or you could have Kristaps and Al Horford on the floor together, or they just have so many different things that they can do to you. I think that probably appeals to my basketball sensibilities a little bit more. But naturally, no one's going to sleep on Dame and Giannis together. Like that is that is just insane. That's going to be a lot of fun. Am I wrong in in having some caution? Like I think when they're fully healthy, they're going to be awesome. But am I wrong in looking at Kristaps Porzingis and being like? You know, like last year was the most games he played in the season since 2017. Like I have some, I, I like I'm, I'm kind of just looking at that, going like, you hope he's healthy, right? Because that's kind of a big thing, especially when you look at their depth. I, like it's talked about a little bit, but that is the one thing kind of hanging over the team, right? Or am I am I wrong in being too negative about that? No, no, I think that's fair, and I think that's why it's it's key to have Al Horford in there, who's obviously a lot a lot of time at the five. And I think going down the line. Is, this is why someone like Luke Cornett is going to be important, at least during the regular season. As you're trying to maintenance the health and the reps of Al Horford because you want him to be ready for the postseason, as you're trying to make sure that Chris Stops is ready to go for the postseason, you're trying to get him the reps to get used to everyone. I think Luke Cornett someone that can average 12, 14 minutes a game, which doesn't sound like much, but throughout the regular season, those minutes add up. You take some of the wear and tear off of those other two bigs, and you're able to maintain a level of productivity, then you kind of blend the stars back in for the postseason and kind of ramp up from there. So, I think it's a fair concern, and it's worth keeping an eye on, you know, that third big in Boston. Nikias Duncan, again, Dunker Spot is the podcast. Follow him on Twitter at NikiasNBA. Uh, we appreciate a couple minutes today. Thanks uh, for putting some perspective on the WNBA title win for the Aces. Uh, have a good season, man. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. 
yeah, very much worth uh, looking into from an X's and O's standpoint uh, when it comes to that pod and checking out what Nikias does. And it is pretty interesting when you listen to him because it does sound like from him and from a lot of other people, as I kind of put it to him, Damon, it seems that this whole Aces thing is not slowing down anytime soon. Like the, the three-peat is very much within the window. It's not something outside of, as he said, injury. It's not out of the room of possibility that this time, this you know, next year, what did, uh, what did Asia say last night? Last year I said to take four shots before the parade. <laughs> this year I told you to take eight. So what, we'll be at the 16 oh next my. season? Well, you know, we shouldn't ask Nikaias. He said he was going to come out Monday, so I, I'm going to be excited to see if he comes out Monday because I cannot wait. We get out early. I don't know what time the parade is, but I hope it's at least after 5 o'clock because I wasn't able to go last year, but I would definitely want to go this year because this team, incredible. You said there's not slowing down. They won this year in spite of injury. So many injuries, and they still were able to pull it off. They've got all the leeway in the world to talk all the smack that they want to do. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. That's right. Stanford's with us. Steve Cofield is not. He'll be back tomorrow. He and I will be out at uh, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside TI, where I got to meet Stanford out in person a few months back. Stanford, it's uh, good to talk to you. Believe in Raiders podcast, the spot as well. So I wanted to start, obviously, with some Raiders stuff. And uh, did you see, you saw the comments, the quotes from uh, Devontae Adams on his workload the other day? <clears throat> I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that guy. Say Ooh, that again. You, you got me again here, Stanford? Yeah, yeah I got you. So did you see the quote from uh, Devontae Adams about his workload the other day? Yes, yes, I definitely saw it. Uh, it, it. It seems like it has multiple layers, and it seems like it was like a like a loaded statement. Like he was trying to really talk to multiple people uh, within giving that uh, that that quick little interview. So definitely uh, wants to get the ball more, and obviously he wants to be a winner. He wants to play on a winning team. So those are two things that the Raiders are going to have to make sure that they shore up, or else you could very well see Devontae Adams talking his way out of Sin City. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the layers of it because that was my case. Is we, we talked about this in the first hour, and I was building the case that if you look at the quotes on it, sir, on the surface, you would go, hey, this is a guy who's talking about his workload despite the fact that his team has won two straight. But my argument is, yes, they've won two straight, but also they cracked 20 points for the first time thanks to a safety, and the offense hasn't been anywhere near the production it should be. And what he's espousing here, and maybe it's a little clunky in the way he's saying it, is if we are going to be better, if we are going to be the team that we expect to be in terms of competing for a playoff spot and maybe more, it has to start with the offense, and by extension it has to start with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, he just wants to get the ball more, and he knows that somebody like of his caliber is able to help his team win. So when you look up and you're not winning or you don't have a winning record and you're not being able to produce, and it's because of the malfeasance with other people, whether it's the play calling, whether it's quarterback play or a combination of both, yes, that is something that definitely works on you as a top guy in the league like he is. So what do you expect at quarterback this weekend? Who would you go with, Hoyer, or would you go with uh, O'Connell? Uh, I probably would go with O'Connell. We know what Hoyer is. He's been in the league a long time, more of a journeyman. Let's just go ahead and see what you got with the young guy. Obviously, we see his first outing. He he did not look like the moment was completely too big for him, so you might be able to have something with him. So let's go ahead and see what the young guy has, just because you don't have a Super Bowl roster. You don't have a roster that can make a deep playoff run. So – you're not playing with the expectation of going to the playoffs in late January, anything like that. So you might as well see what you have going forward for the future. Is there is it, like if you're in a locker room 
And because I agree with that sentiment, right? Like, hey, let's just see what we have in the young guy. People always like to say, is there an effect on the locker room with that? Like, you are sending the message like, hey, look, not that we don't believe in this team, but we need to see what Aiden O'Connell is, and there is a risk in that, and we might lose this game, but it's for the future of the organization. Is there a negative effect to that? Like, would guys rather see Hoyer in there because that sends the message of, we're putting the veteran in, we want to win as many games as possible? I think it does send a message of we're trying to win right now. When you put the younger guy in, it has a little bit of a negative connotation that we're rebuilding. We're playing for the future unless it's a guy that was taken number three overall or somebody really high in the first round or something like that. So uh, anytime you put the young guy, the older guys, the veterans, they definitely do start to kind of look at you a little sideways whenever you stand up there in front of the team every Wednesday morning spewing the jargon of, we're trying to win. We're trying to win right now. We're trying to win the division, things like that. Josh McDaniels, he said after the win that we don't give fish back and you shouldn't apologize for any win that you get in the NFL. But with the Raiders, where if they do get this win Sunday against the Bears, against the backup quarterback, that'd be three straight wins. But is it, is it tough to gauge how good this team really is due to the teams that they have these wins against? Yeah, I mean, we're still in the early part of the season. It's, it's you know, right now the Raiders are 3-3 three and three going into week seven, just as a whole within the NFL. Like, the Detroit Lions are playing very, very good right now. Let's go ahead and give them about another month or two to see how this season plays out. And I can name numerous teams. When you look at the NFC South, the NFC South isn't as good as their record says they are right now. But – uh, back to the original point with the with the Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, they won two straight against the Packers Monday Night Football, and then against the New England Patriots. That dare I say, right now being led by Bill Belichick, seem very undisciplined. They seem like they don't have as much desire. Seem like they don't have that want to things like that. So. Obviously, you still want to win no matter who you play. And as a Raider fan, I don't care who's on their schedule. I just want to see them win. But when you're trying to evaluate them, yes, it definitely does make it very difficult in the early part of the year just because you have so many teams that are up and down. You don't know what you're getting week to week. I mean, we just saw the Jets beat the Philadelphia Eagles, for crying out loud, just a couple (laughs) days ago. We saw the Cleveland Browns without Deshaun Watson beat the San Francisco 49ers. So right now it's still in that area where you want to go ahead and actually give yourself a little bit more time to get the true evaluation of what teams really are. Once you get to around Thanksgiving, that's when the good teams start separating themselves. That's when the bad teams start separating themselves. So right now I think it's still a little bit premature to go ahead and just call the Raiders whether they're good or bad. I know you said it's a little premature, but how good has this defense looked? Because this has been one of the bright spots for the team to me. All the time with the years before, in the car years, it would be if the defense could just be middle of the road, this team would have a chance. They finally gotten to that point where I'd say this is an average defense, and I mean that as a compliment. Yeah, and that's where I have to basically contradict myself and go ahead and basically say that was once again against who? We got love from the Packers, and then we got Mac Jones uh, for the New England Patriots. So those aren't exactly two juggernaut offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Miami Dolphins, for crying out loud. So that's where it gives me cause to pause before I just immediately stamp them as dare I say, average right now within the NFL. But I definitely like what I'm seeing. I'm not going to go and just somehow, some way, just completely devalue or diminish an actual win in the NFL because they're not easy to come by. So I'm still very happy that they won two straight. But if you're asking me to sit up here right now and just go ahead and take the last two games and use that as evidence to go ahead and now proclaim them as being 
average or mediocre. I'm not sure I can go there just because of the last two teams that they played and they beat. Yep, and uh, I'll throw the Steelers in there too, right? Stanford Steelers haven't been a very good offensive team. Exactly. And uh, the one very much above average offense you faced – uh, Bills dropped 38 on them, so I think, yeah, there's definitely questions about that Raiders defense. Stanford route with us, Believe in Raiders podcast, and of course, longtime NFL player. So uh, I wanted to ask you really quick, uh, we did see the news today that one Julio Jones uh, is going to be a part of the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think that that was the problem for Philly? Did they need another wide receiver or the issues with this offense uh, a little bit deeper than that? I think they just ran into a team on any given Sunday that beat them within the New York Jets. I don't think the Jets are better. Obviously, we see the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't need Julio Jones last year to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts having an MVP caliber season. You got A.J. Brown being a pro bowler. You got Jason Kelsey, one of the best centers, if not the best in the league. You got so many great players on the offensive side of the ball. So as far as saying that they need Julio Jones, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that because I feel like I'd be disrespecting A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, all those boys within the receiving course but definitely we all know in the game of football especially in the nfl you can never have too many good corners you can never have too many good receivers so i just look at that like an embarrassment of riches just the rich get richer with the philadelphia eagles much like you see randy gregory going to the 49ers who already have a ferocious pass rush and they're basically just taking one of their strengths and making it even stronger so i wouldn't go as far as to say that they need julio jones but definitely somebody that they are going to be able to get ample usage out of down the stretch. So DeMond used the term average to describe the Raiders' offense or defense, and he used it as a compliment. Uh, but the Eagles' offense has looked average, and for them, right, that's not a compliment. That's an insult considering how good they were last year. When you watch Jalen Hurts, what do you think's going on? Because he, he's putting the ball in a lot of danger a lot more often than he was last season. Yeah, I think uh, you're just seeing a guy who who is now adjusting to his new offensive coordinator, his new yeah. play caller. I think a lot of times people underestimate the impact of an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator when all of a sudden they leave to go on to greener pastures. That's number one. Number two, we look at how Philadelphia, everything is centered around the success of the run game. That's what opens up the pass game. And for Jalen Hurts, that's somebody that has always been a pretty pretty good passer, but not somebody that was elite, had great ball placement, things like that. And I think that Jalen Hurts is still growing. Let's go ahead and remember, Jalen Hurts, this is what, his fourth year in the mm -hmm. NFL? So he still has some growing pains to go to go through. Obviously, last year, playing at an MVP caliber level season, that's what makes everybody's expectations now heightened to the point of where they're expecting him to always play at an all-pro level, and it doesn't work like that. He's still very young. He still has a lot of growing to do, and I just think that right now he's going through that maturation process. Stanford, do you like candy corn? <laughs> uh, I've, I've eaten it a couple times in my life, but it's not something that I clamor for or anything like that. Okay, all right. I'm pro candy corn. I bought a bag the other day. Just, uh, <laughs> just gauging. We're getting closer. Somebody on the show insulted. I think, Damon, you're negative on the candy corn? Negative on the candy corn. Disappointed. Disappointed. <laughs> Sam, if you're I mean, going trick-or-treating, do you want it? That's not something I want. I'll take it if that's all you have. See, there you go. See, all right, I'll take that. I'll take that answer. Stanford, good to talk to you, man. Believe in Raiders podcast. Uh, what else you got going on? Man, uh, just uh, sitting over here, just got done doing another episode on All Facts, No Cap. Yep. You can download the on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, any place that you find uh, your podcast or you listen to them. And, man, uh, my alma mater, University of Houston, has a big game on Saturday afternoon against the University of Texas. So oh, can't right. wait for that one. Yep. All right, man, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good luck. You guys be good, man. Talk to you next week. Be safe. Yeah, thanks a lot, Stanford. Really appreciate it. See, that's a smart answer.
All right? Candy corn's good. I don't think I don't think he that's a ringing endorsement. No, but like a bunch of you a bunch of you guys are like, "Oh, never, it's disgusting." No, if I if I, it's like you, you ever watch like some of these like incels on social media that are like like these clearly attractive women like, "Oh, she's oh, no, no Mid. thanks." Like, yeah, right. All right. Like you wouldn't just quiver if that person gave you a little bit of attention. It's the same thing here. Stop being over the top. If you got a handful of candy corn, you would eat it. All right? It's not that bad. I am pro candy corn, and you know what? I'm tired of hiding it from people. It's a good candy. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So shout out to John who um, listens to the show. Sent me something on X. Candy corn color scheme, I guess you want to call it. They're called sweet tooths. Um, the Nike Dunks, the high tops. I responded with, "You just cost me one hundred and sixty-five dollars because these things look pretty good." This I doubt is, it. What are you talking about? I showed you a picture. That is pretty clean. It's white. They're white, orange, and yellow, but they obviously, like, the transition into the colors is uh, very smooth and nice. I like this. Where are you wearing them at? Everywhere. I mean, the thing with basketball shoes, I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not a fashionista by any sense. I have noticed that with basketball shoes, they don't necessarily have to go with the outfit that you're wearing. It's just the fact that you're wearing them. I disagree. Really? Yes. I'm not saying that you have to be matching, you know, because I think that's a little played out. If you're wearing red shoes, your entire outfit does not need to be red (laughs) for the uh, 40-plus crowd out there. But it's got to at least coordinate. You can't just have on. I'll give give a perfect example. I'm a wrestling fan, yes. I was watching AEW Dynamite a couple of weeks ago, and a guy comes out to make a save. He's wearing nothing but gym shorts and the Nike Red Octobers, the Kanye pair, Mm -hmm. and he looked totally swaggerless in them. Okay. I would sign away if you say that, hey, Demon, I've got a pair of red Octobers for you. I'd quit this job today. <laughs> That's how much of a holy grail shoe they are to me. And I saw somebody wearing them in a wrestling ring of all places. No swagger to them. Made the shoe look awful. These ones? Yes. Those are nice. You can wear them. What do you mean? As long as you're wearing like black or something like that, those will work. Well, shirtless on a flat. Well, was he in shape? Not, not some, not, okay. you know. Yeah. Okay. So you could pull it off shirtless is what you're saying. <laughs> not the guy on AEW. That's, yeah. that's the point. That's the takeaway here. Yeah, this all stems from my, my, uh, my pro candy corn rant. I'm pro candy corn. Ooh, especially candy pumpkins. The little candy pumpkins. Oh, I those? know which ones you're talking yeah. about. Yes. I will say I have eaten candy corn, so if, any, if the candy corn police is out there. It's just one of those things, like, you guys are, like, you guys are sheep, Okay. Think for yourself for once. Just because Big Candy is telling you that candy corn is terrible because it doesn't want you to support the little guy in Brock's, all right, and candy corn, don't be blinded. Make your own opinions. Do your own research. So I can eat it and say it's bad. <laughs> but you don't eat it. That's the thing. A lot of these people, I, I hear so many, it's like, oh, a candy corn is disgusting. Have you tried it? No. Okay. Well, then how do you know? I think we've all tried candy corn. I've, I love it. And I'll tell you this. 
it gets a bad rap. You want to know why? Because people saw it's the worst candy. No, it's not. The worst candy is that trash, that garbage, that absolute dreck that gets shelled out every Easter. Peeps. They're disgusting. They're awful. And the fact that you put candy corn in the same stratosphere of that thing, I, I can't speak to you. We don't throw fish back here on this show, <laughs> but we damn sure throw away some candies that are disgusting, and peeps are in there. Candy corn. Candy corn is above peeps in my rankings as Thank well, you. so See, there you go. I appreciate that. Hmm. I was going to try to think of a segue. I've got nothing. I was going to try to think of some clever segue to something like that, but I couldn't do it. we got to go to break in a minute, so. Oh, we got to go to break in a minute? Fine. Yeah. All right, so then I'll throw out this bombshell. Does Jada Pinkett Smith hate Will Smith? <laughs> Can we wrap up this conversation in 60 seconds? Why does Will keep defending her? She definitely hates him. I like it's incredible. I wanted we didn't have enough time with Xavier. I was gonna ask him about it. I, I just I don't even know if we uh, Will, buddy. Have some honor for yourself, man. What does he do? G- go away, leave her. Like, stop with this. What is happening? It's too late for that. Openly saying that somebody else was her soulmate. Like, this is getting to be a nightmare. I feel bad for Will. One of the best rap artists of our time. Parents just don't understand. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gaming. On ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Wrapping it up here on Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield out for the today. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, let's talk, uh, as we always do at this time, with one Brad Powers, who's nice enough to give us some time here to get, uh, today. Uh, Brad, appreciate it. So I wanted to dive right into this slate because it seems like it's a pretty good one. And I wanted to start with the big boy at the top on Saturday. Uh, how much is uh, the duo of Amika Ibuka and Trayvon Henderson worth to the spread? We saw Circa get up to five and a half. Uh, we saw them open at six early on Sunday. Does this thing get back up to six if both of those guys are playing for the Buckeyes? Uh, I'm not sure because the total is so suppressed. I mean, the total yeah. come down. Uh, well, I mean, it did open low uh, at Circa, and then I got up to as high as 48, down to 45 and a half. Maybe it touches. Uh I think they're together worth maybe a point or so uh, between the two of them. You're talking about the second-best wide receiver and obviously top back, although Ohio State's pretty deep at the skill position. Uh, but, but just to have those guys back in the lineup that have so much experience should help Ohio State against what statistically is the number one defense in the country, uh, if you believe uh, the schedule that they played. And that's my major issue is uh, Penn State really hasn't played anybody. I'm more worried about the Penn State offense. Drew Alar, uh, I mean, if you're not able to push the ball down the field against – you know, UMass, Delaware, uh, West Virginia. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do it against this Ohio State defense. So I lean Ohio State, but I prefer the under in this matchup. Got it. What, do you think it's still playable now at 46, 45 and a half, or is that gone? Uh, lean that way. Yeah. Pizza bet. Uh, you know, not, maybe not the family of four out uh, to dinner, ah. but, uh, you know, uh, decent one. Okay. Decent carry out. All right, $5 carryout box. I'm in. All right, I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, all right, Clemson, Miami. So I, I talked to a couple of people last week, and there were quite a few people in Miami against North Carolina, thought that essentially it was the buy-low point. I actually think this week's the buy-low spot for Miami if Tyler Van Dyke's going to play. Uh, I did take a gamble and took three and a half with the Hurricanes. Am I on the right track, or do you think Clemson goes in and rolls? 
No, I, I, I honestly think three is about the right number. Uh, you know, I, I'm on both sides of this game. That you know, just depending on where I was news-wise, at three and a half early in the week, I like Miami. Then the news breaks, so Tyler Van Dyke might be uh, banged up. At that point, it was two and a half. I laid it back with Clemson, and then when he got announced in, I put some more back on Miami back at three and a half. Yeah. So my preferred position is Miami. I agree with you; it's more by low than what it was last week. But uh, how banged up is he? Uh, and I also question, you know, the Miami defense statistically is good, but my goodness, when they stepped up uh, against A&M in North Carolina, they didn't look so great. I'm not sure Clemson's a great offense, but maybe they'll have a game plan uh, that didn't work, uh, you know, reason, the reasonable game plan considering they're off a of bye. I guess what I'm getting at is uh, it'll be my biggest win of the season if Clemson wins by three. All right. All right. Let's. Uh, I hope you get that. Although, uh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, um, yeah you'll take it. You got yeah. three and a half. You're Sorry, good. I was I was caught watching the baseball game while you were talking, so I apologize. I had to think about for a second what you were saying. Brad Powers with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Powers Seven. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about USC and Utah. I think a lot of people would look at what USC did last week, especially against a really quality defensive opponent, and uh, what Caleb Williams did in throwing three very awful interceptions, and then coming back home to take on a very good Utah defense and say, "Huh, a full seven here, really." Uh, what do you make of this number? I'm part of the USC money. Uh, took my biggest position early in the week was SC, uh, obviously below seven, but I'd still lean that way at seven. That kind of tells you how much I like the Trojans uh, this week. Uh, you talk about buy low. I mean, I, I think it's buy low. I, I hope it's buy low considering how bad Caleb Williams was last week, the worst game of his career, three interceptions in the first half. I mean, it's kind of a misleading final when you're minus five in turnovers and you give up a kick return touchdown. And I just, I'm not sure that Utah can keep pace. Uh, uh, with their offense, uh, I, I just I don't see it in the pass game for them. Uh, they're going to have to hit a couple big plays. Notre Dame at least hit a couple big plays. I'm not sure Utah is capable of it. So uh, USC for me. All right, so we're hitting the halfway point uh, of the season, and what I do so at, at Vison, I do the uh, the college lines reveal the opening show on Sunday. So when circuit goes first to market, we analyze and look at all the numbers when they open. One of the things that stuck out to me on Sunday was the the very little movement in some of these numbers. At the beginning of the year, Brad, and you know this because you bet all these numbers on Sunday, you'll see like three, four points worth of movement on, on the sides. Totals are always crazy, but the sides, you would have saw a lot of movement at the beginning of the year. What stuck out to me is you didn't get much, like two, maybe two and a half points of movement uh, on sides either way. Are these numbers getting a lot tighter? How do you handle this as somebody who's gotten pretty tuned with the market? Because I've noticed there's not that much movement on Sundays when circuit gets up on market. Well, it's a, it, we could do a whole podcast on this, but yeah. uh, it's a, a few things. Uh, last couple of weeks, uh, Circa hasn't been first. Uh, FanDuel has been opening yeah. up. Uh, FanDuel has been doing some games. Last couple of weeks, they've been doing almost every game, a couple hours before. Yeah. So there's some of that. Uh, and the other thing is, yeah, the numbers are tighter. So I, you are correct. Uh, th- this past week was probably my fewest side bets I had made all season. Uh, they, they were pretty tight, to say the least. I made a bunch of totals bets. I'm not sure that it's a great portfolio, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I was not involved in many sides. So Circus doing a good job in that. It, it is a pretty fascinating dynamic because, you know, out here in Las Vegas it doesn't affect a ton of people. But you're right, like uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, uh, you'll see, like, I think I'll see Caesars every once in a while pop up on the screen early on Sunday. Some of these uh, these, some of these books have been trying to get first to market. What's the? I'll ask you from a better's perspective. This might be an interesting answer. So what's the what's the benefit of a book to be first to market like that, to try to beat circuit at what they've been doing for the last couple of years? I don't know, because yeah. I can tell you this, they're softer than circuit numbers. So yeah, right. I, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't, I'm not sure that FanDuel even needs that type of publicity. I mean, obviously <laughs> the, the answer would be, well, pub, publicity, but they don't need it. I mean, so I, I, I'm not sure why they, they, they want to get first to market, especially when I don't, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't respect them. And uh, it's not, uh, uh, it's not great lines to say the least. So I, I've had to maneuver some money here late in the mm-hmm. season uh, and put over there. And obviously, FanDuel's not here, but I, phone calls are made. I can put, tell you that on Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. All right, let's go to some of the other matchups uh, on the board. Uh, I don't know. Call me weird. I'm actually really interested in Duke and Florida State. Uh, this number now is 14.5 across the board. Circus at 15. Uh, some of the metrics paint a picture of a poor run defense for Florida State. Uh, I, is Riley Leonard playing first off? I didn't think Beeland was terrible. I didn't think he was great. They didn't really ask him to do that much against NC State. This is a long way I'm saying I'm kind of interested in Duke. I, I hate to say that, but what do you make of this matchup? I don't think Riley Leonard's going to play. Okay. I thought the market told you everything you needed to know there. Yep. Mike Elko two days ago says, Oh, there's a good chance he's going to play. Okay, off of that news, it went down to 13 and a half, and then a, a big, a lot of money came in on Florida State at 13 and a half. And I agree. I'm, I am with the Florida State side okay. at that price. Still would lean Florida State at this price. Uh, I'm, they didn't ask him to do a lot. Is correct. He's going to have to do more this week right. for them to keep him with this in this number. And I'm concerned in that regard. And also, I'll say this. Florida State, if you look at the snap counts on a lot of their starters, I mean, it's they have been uh, restricting a lot of uh, their key players, including like last week when their top offensive lineman sat out, Johnny Wilson wide receiver sat out. This is a team that's gearing up for the final stretch run, and their starters start getting 50 or 60 plays a game. I think you'll see those metrics uh, look a little bit better on the Knolls. So I'm on the Knolls here. Does Michigan get upset outright now that they can't steal the play calls and signals from the other opponent? No, uh, <laughs> Michigan. They'll get comfortable margin in this one. Uh, I think Michigan State can keep it close for a while, and then Michigan pulls away. So uh, under for me also in that game. But yeah, uh, no worry about an outright upset. All right, I was. I wanted to make the obvious joke for those who are just joining us. Uh, G- uh, Jim Harbaugh under investigation again. Haven't seen a witch hunt like this since. I don't want to say, uh, but yes, Harbaugh under investigation for stealing some signals uh, from opponents. Uh, because Steve Cofield's not here, we do have to ask in his honor, Rutgers laying five on the road against Indiana after storming back against said Michigan State. Uh, how do we handle this? I don't want to lay five, but yep. it is an important game. I mean, eligibility for them, if you look at their remaining four games on their schedule, they're going to be an underdog in all four games. So it's a very important game for them to get the ball eligibility. They do so, but I'm not laying the five on the road. Uh, what did you make of the young freshman getting the start for TCU? His name escapes me right now, but they are taking on Kansas State. Uh, we saw this over seven, if I remember correctly. I think I saw it eight on Sunday, uh, but this is at that six-and-a-half-point mark for K-State. Yeah, I mean, it looked better than, than what they got out of Chandler Morris the majority yes. of the season. Uh, I'm just – I don't know if I can trust TCU yet. I mean, it's the team. This is their first uh, underdog role of the season. So, in that regard, I mean – you wouldn't mind playing on them because they've had to play with expectations all year. Now they're playing with a little bit of house money, but um, I don't trust it yet, to be honest with you. They've been too hot and cold for me. Kansas State, at the current number, would be my lean there at 6.5, but i got to tell you guys, I haven't bet it. And that's, that's pretty rare for me. Uh, usually i, I got a bet on a side or a toe. I think I'm going to get the worst of the number here. I don't know by how much. I laid nine with Alabama against Tennessee. I think all of the numbers would point to Joe Milton being a pretty below-average quarterback. This passing attack hasn't been great, and I like Alabama defensively. And I think despite the fact that they let Arkansas back in that game on Saturday, uh, that Jalen Moreau is looking more and more comfortable and explosive. I laid with Alabama. Am I wrong? Uh, 
No, I mean, if I had to bet a side, it'd be Alabama. Uh, I took them in the summer. Ooh, I mean, they, they had my money for six months, all for a, a point. I think I laid seven, seven and a half. So whoop de do for me there. Uh, I yeah, I think they're the right side. I think right now, what I would prefer the current numbers is the under. I just trust both teams' defenses more than the offenses, and then some. I will say this: I'm concerned. If, if there's one concern with an Alabama ticket is that Tennessee pass rush against yeah. an Alabama offensive line that can't protect Noro. So how do you solve that? Well, I just think you just run the football. You don't even drop uh, Noro back to pass. Florida did it against Tennessee in the second half. Merch is banged up. They just ran the football almost every single play and had success. So I think that's the formula for Alabama, come away with a winning cover. All right, I've taken it on the chin. I have taken points with the last two UNLV opponents. It has not gone well. They continue <laughs> to turn out victories by margin. <laughs> Can they do it against Colorado? I mean, I feel like situationally it's a good time to catch Colorado State right after that comeback against Boise last week. Yeah, I'm not there. Yeah, I would actually lean Colorado State, but yeah. I, I can't get there with the fact that, I mean, they're off such an emotional win. First time they've ever beaten Boise. They were outplayed for the first 55 minutes, and then some down 20 in that uh, with five minutes left. I played the over, kept it simple. Uh, Colorado State games, with the exception of the Boise State game, obviously very fortunate that I went over, but for the most part those games have been flying over. Don't have to worry about weather. Love UNLV's offense. Love their offense coordinator. I bet he's a one done there. That's how good he is. Uh, so over for me. Big picture question. Uh, Tez Walker is back for North Carolina. Their schedule really lightens up as they move forward now uh, before, I think, even to the end of the year. I think they got a pretty nice schedule for the rest of the season. What do we do with North Carolina? Like, you can find playoff markets. This schedule sets up really nicely for them, right? Like, and Tez Walker upgrades them a bit. Am I wrong in kind of thinking pretty highly of North Carolina in that they can actually make it to the playoff? Well, I mean, trusting Mac Brown uh, yeah. leaves a little bit to be desired. But, you know, I laughed kind of at the market when Des, uh, Tez Walker got announced in against Syracuse a couple weeks ago, yep. and the market moved like a point, point and a half. Then you watch him, and it's like, hmm, after a couple of games, he probably was worth a point, point and a half to the market, uh, considering how much uh, better North Carolina's offense looks with him. It really opens up everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least the next three games are really simple for them, starting with Virginia on Saturday. Uh I'm not there yet. They're going to be a dog against Florida State in the yep. ACC championship game. Not a big dog, but still five, six points. They still got to go to Clemson. Uh, Duke will be interesting, that matchup. And then they're at NC State, and NC State figured them out the last couple of years. So I'm not there yet. Brad Powers. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. Anything on Thursday tonight? Uh, the only thing I played was Rice today that looks good. Uh, as far as the NFL game, I, I laid a little bit with the Saints when there was kind of concerns whether or not uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to play. He is going to play. I still lean the Saints. All right, Brad. Good to talk to you, man. Appreciate it as always. Hey, take care, guys. Yep, you got it. Brad Power 7 up on X. All right, what's the pick? What do you got? You think your boy's going to pull it out tonight or what? I do, I believe. I don't. I bet Jacksonville. Going to prove you doubters wrong. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to really base this on. He's not checking down on fourth down. Ah, uh, th- yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, you better clean that up because I watched him do it with Kamara against Houston. It was brutal. All right, tomorrow, Ti Golden Circle Sportsbook Bar. That's where the show is. Or at least I'm pretty sure that's where the show is. That's where I'll be. And Steve Cofield will be back for Cofield and Company. Make sure you stick around for Thursday night football. And if you missed out on any part of the show, lbsportsnetwork.com.